0: In this day and age, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put a pig in there. Washing facilities, garment trees that we were in, food was more or less non-existent. We were, we were literally starving, collecting from other boys a halfpenny or a penny that they'd collect, and then I'd go over the field at the back of the handball alley, jump over the wall, down into a Driscoll shop, the post office, and buy a loaf of bread for 7 old pence. When, we, when I'd come back with that loaf, it would be ravaged by the lads that gave me the money to be all waiting for you. They'd grab the loaf and tear it asunder like dogs or a rabbit or something like that.
1: Well, that was an 80-year-old man who spent his young life as a resident of the Baltimore Industrial School in West Cork. It began life in 1889 as the Baltimore Fishery School. It was one of the first vocational schools for the fishing trade in these islands. It was later designated an industrial school where children were sent from orphanages and from children's courts. Between 20 and 30 former residents are alive today and Brian O'Connell went to Baltimore to meet some of those who were willing to speak publicly about their experiences. Brian, good morning. Morning, Pat. First, tell us about the background to the school. Who set it up? Who administered it? and why.
2: It would appear, Pat, that the school was set up in the late um, 19th century. Lord Carberry had gifted the lands either to a group of locals so that they could be used for the construction of a fishery school or to the Bishop of Ross and the local parish priests. There's a little bit of confusion over that. Um, a board of governors was set up to run it, we know, and that did include the bishop and some business interests locally and, and other people. Um, and then later, Pat, the school came under the remit of the Industrial Schools Act and as you said, boys were taken into the school and it became a charitable trust. I think somewhere. In region of 160 boys over the life of the school. Mm. When did it wind up its operation? Uh, it winded up in 1950 and boys who were there, but they essentially worked mending nets and activities like that. The premises were sold and the net proceeds of that sale were lodged to the commissioners of charitable donations for investment on behalf of the trust, again on that trust, representatives of Lord Carbury's estate, the bishop now of Cork and Ross, parish representatives and others. And a decision as to what should be done with that fund is pending. Now we'll come back to that a little bit later on because that's where some of the former residents have an issue. Um, And as you said, I went to Baltimore last week. The school itself, it looks not too dissimilar to how it would have looked in the past. It's located close to the shoreline. It's a swimming pool now and was a hotel. And I met with um, several persons who had all been residents. The first person we'll hear about is Alfie O'Mahony. And he told me about the daily routine and also how the boys there earned their nickname, the Blue Leg Boys.
3: Uh, we'd go. We would go to the washroom in winter time. We wore clogs, and the clattering of the clogs on the terracotta tiles made sparks in the twilight. And in the washroom, we had ten towels and ten uh, wash basins, cold water, and there was a, a hierarchy of preference, with the big boys being first. But by the time, ten relays of people washed and dried themselves, with, the towels were sodden. And we were fairly flea-ridden at the time. There was uh, We were monkey-fashing, taking fleas off each other. Uh, we were, as it were, um, a herd. And uh, I'm afraid we were treated as such as well. Some of the
2: conditions that I've read... In relation to Baltimore, I mean, are quite shocking that kids were called the
3: Blue Lake Boys. Was that this is point? true. It, it was the gen- generic name that local people had for us because when you have no heating and you have permanent dampness, especially in this part of Ireland where the rainfall is 65 inches a year, we had scant uh, clothes on the beds, and I'm afraid that the... Um, the, the incidence of being blue in colour was the reason why we were called Blue Legs. Uh, we used to wear clogs and ankle socks, but we had short trousers. In winter, when we were moving around, the local people would notice that we were blue with the cold.
1: The Blue Leg Boys. Now, it was argued that the school was set up as a charitable institution, but the conditions sound anything but charitable. We can hear now how Alfie got to be in Baltimore.
3: Uh, actually, I was born out of wedlock, And at the time, it was decided that my mother wasn't morally fit to bring me up.
2: And after you got out at 16, then, did you ever meet?
3: No, I actually did something which was uh, taking into account the social mores of society. I passed, I drove in a car through the village where she was born, and I asked if there was any O'Mahannies in that village. And they told me that there used to be many, but they said the nearest was about two miles away. So I went there. And within minutes of meeting a lovely couple, um, four or five more came along. I think they phoned a few people that I looked like someone. (laughs) And therefore, I was curious. But I wouldn't tell them my mother's name. and gave them the reason. Now, I came back to Ireland in 1957. And there's a lady who's well-known in Ireland who had out of wedlock child and from an altar she was called a slut.
2: So really, Pat, I mean, Alfie, I think he felt even if his mother had been still alive, he didn't want to contact her in, in case, I guess, she'd remarried or had moved on with her life. And, you know, Alfie went on to lead a pretty full life and recently published a book, in fact, about his time growing up. Um, He was never physically or sexually abused in Baltimore and that fact actually went against him at the redress board where he received no financial compensation at all despite the fact, uh, I would argue, that the conditions were Dickensian or worse.
1: Now Alfie introduced you to a friend of his who was also in Baltimore in the 1940s.
2: As we were talking in Baltimore, Alfie had told me about a a great friend of his, John Griffin, who had worked overseas with the Merchant Navy for many years and we drove a few miles from Baltimore to Skibbereen And John told me, firstly, how he too ended up in the Baltimore Industrial School.
4: My mother couldn't keep five of us, you know. And um, so they sent her to, to a women's laundry up in Dublin. And that was the last I saw of her. And they told me she was dead and gone. I thought, well, I'll find that out for myself, you know. So I went looking and looking and I found her. Alive and well in Derbyshire in England. Amazing, wasn't it? And she said, first thing she said, well, first of all, I went to the house and I knocked. And She said, go away with you. She had a real Dublin accent, you know. Get away with you, she said. "Uh, Come here, you, she said. Come here, with Dublin accent. Are you John? I said, I am. I had a John, she said. You know, you have five sisters, she said. They're living down the road here. And uh, so I met them. And since then, 20 years ago, it was 20 years ago, they are all married. They had their own things to do, the children everything. So we never saw each other again, you know, after that. We left them as long as they found. I found one brother, but he didn't want to know. But
2: And in later life, when people asked you where you grew up, what did you say?
4: I just said Dublin.
2: Born in Dublin. And
4: I have a photograph I keep of the mother always. I keep her over there. She's, I look at her every day. And she gave me the photograph and I never forgot. She passed on. I only had three glorious years with her when she passed on, you know.
1: Isn't that incredibly sad? That was John. (coughs) Now, Brian, you mentioned earlier the issue of the trust fund. Some Mm -hmm. of the proceeds relate to the sale of that industrial school and the survivors from Baltimore would like to benefit from any monies that, that actually remain.
2: Yeah, in fairness Pat, Connor Ryan in the Irish Examiner has been doing a great series of investigative reports into this whole area and he highlighted that this fund exists and that the survivors would like to benefit from it. There is close to about €150,000 in the fund. Some of the money relates to the sale of the school and interest which would have been earned over the years. Now the governors of the trust, um, they seem to say that you can only use it for educational purposes for the general population in Baltimore. Um, and we'll hear from John now on, on his thoughts on that fund and also the impact, I guess, of being in the, in the, in the industrial school.
4: Um, life has been, you know, varied up and down. And and yet I have no grudge against any of them. At really? Time. Not a bit. It was their problem, not mine. They had their problem.
2: Did it impact on you in later life, do you think, I mean, in terms of relationships with people? Or-
4: yeah, they would never allow us to talk to girls or anything like that, you know. It was a sin, it was a very uh, and yet bad thing or oh, keep clear of them. And that's why today I think I'm very slow at I like plenty of women, there's plenty of them around, plenty to talk to You're very friendly. I meet them every night, but as for putting the word to the marriage in it no, no. Not on. You were told have nothing to do with them.
2: In terms of redress then, which has been an issue this week when documents emerged showing that there is a trust there, that there is a certain amount of money and it can't be accessed for whatever reason there's been a delay or a blockage. What, what would you think about that? Well, I hope we get
4: it. It would be nice to have it, you know. There's lots of things I'd like to do and go for a good holiday and put on new carpets, places ringing wet, damp and everything. It would be, yes, it would be welcomed. Yes, it would.
2: You know, if there is money there in the trust, because essentially ye were earning for the religious...
4: Yes. We were mending nets for the fishermen or big nets all hours of it from about uh, 1 o'clock to about maybe 6 or 7 in the evening. No wages, no nothing. And beaten if we missed a a patch on the net, you know. Or cruelty. Oh, don't I know it.
2: But can I ask you, Johnny, um, Baltimore is a small village. Everybody in that village must have known what was happening.
4: They hated us. They didn't like Baltimore boys. We used to go down begging us because we cleaned out our bins and everything. And uh, as soon as they'd bake fresh bread in those days, they'd put them on the windows to cool off. But they didn't get time. We had them and we cooled them off for them. The whole lot of us. They hated us. They didn't know where to cool their bread off, you know. So that was it. We cooled it, for my oh, I, I,
2: that's That's Johnny. And Alfie, I was asking Alfie afterwards, Pat, outside the house, did he have many idols in life? And Alfie was saying to me, to him, there were no greater heroes than John. You know, it was an amazing scene outside the house, quite
1: emotional. You got on to the <coughs> office of the Bishop of mm-hmm. Cork and Ross.
2: Yeah, well, they say they really had no involvement in the management of the school and that there seemed to exist a wish that it would be good if monies went to former residents. But legally, they're prevented from doing so, I think because of the way this trust was set up. Um, so really, that money is lying in, account, in an account now while a solution can be found. And obviously, the remaining 20 or so residents are all in their late 70s, early 80s, and some of them are in a pretty bad way.
1: Now, you met one other survivor. He described, first of all, to you what life in Baltimore Industrial School was like and some of what happened to the residents in Baltimore. Uh, Plane facilities,
0: none, absolutely nothing. We stole bread that would come in on the train from, I think it was Bandon. We were beaten continuously. One of the the staff who was a nix. Baltimore boy, who was in Baltimore previously, was brought back to work in the school. He slept at one end of the dormitory in a little room. And he had his special clients, as we, as I call them now anyway, where he just come up to your bed. Come on. You couldn't refuse because he'd bit the neck off you. So you had to go down to his room. And there he would carry out sexual acts on you. This went on continuously. It was reported, but no one listened. Why more people didn't commit suicide while they were in Baltimore or even afterwards with what went on there? It wasn't just one occasion. It was continuous. And we cried
1: How did
2: he end up
1: in Baltimore?
2: Well, I saw his arrest record and he had been fostered from a convent, so presumably he was born out of wedlock. And later he was found on the streets of the city he was living in without a guardian or a foster parent nearby, so he was dragged into court. And for that crime, and I use that word in inverted commas, his punishment was to be sent to live the remainder of his youth, essentially, in the industrial schools, and he was three and a half years old. (sighs) Three and a half years old?
1: Yeah. Now, he didn't want you to use his name, Brian, or say where he was living, and he actually told you why.
2: Why is it that you prefer not to be named and for the area that you're living in to be identified?
0: I think it's the shame. It's the shame I haven't been in a place like Baltimore, where you, f- you feel guilty because you were there. It was my fault I was there. It was the fault of the authorities. Maybe my mother got bless or wherever she is. And I just, I just don't like talking about it. Has anyone ever apologised to you? To me personally? No. Never. The only one who's ever apologised was Bertie Hearn. Uh, he apologised on behalf of the people of Ireland. But as regards to anyone else, the answer was no. I mean, we were treated like dirt when we left school. You know, we were outcasts. And if someone sighed, they'd say, who's that for Ah, oh, he's one of them yokes that came out of Baltimore. It was horrible, really, to be it, honest with you. Until you got used to it, like, you know.
2: Now, in the last few years, you have um, got in touch with former people who were in Baltimore.
0: There might be about twenty-five max left at the moment; are still living.
2: And um, so, and you went through the redress board, did you? What kind of an experience was that?
0: I wouldn't go through it again for anything. It was degrading. Yes, I could say. Public would say it was in, inhuman. The way we were treated, the questions we were asked, and the awards that were given. Now, I was given an award, I'm not going to say what it was, but was was more talking about. Now, for what we went there, if th- this was a present-day accordance that I personally went through in Baltimore, happening at the present day, I'd get millions out of it. Literally millions. It's not the money.
1: So the abuse happened all over again. Uh, That's how he felt anyway, going Mm -hmm. through the redress uh, process. And it's not the money he Mm -hmm. really wanted. It's, I suppose, a recognition. But you pointed out there is that account related to the industrial school. It has the money which could be used to to give a little comfort to these survivors. I mean, they are in their 80s. And it seems that for some reason, the way the trust was set up, nobody can access it.
2: That seems to be the case. I mean, I spoke to the solicitors who were acting on behalf of the Trust, the Department of Justice and many others. I understand the Governors did make a proposal which would in some way benefit the survivors, or if if not them directly, maybe their grandchildren or their children could be provided with educational bursaries. But the Commissioners for Charitable Donations rejected that idea again because it wasn't within the remit of the Trust. So it's really a logjam at the present, Pat. And meanwhile, these men who... I mean, in my opinion, obviously, they suffered most as a result of the existence of the school and should benefit, in my opinion, from any monies that might exist. Um, Nobody has apologised to them. Reading through some of their correspondence, there isn't a whole lot of sympathy shown to them, I have to say. Um, And finally, look, I asked Alfie, who we'd heard from first, who he holds responsible for what he and the others went through.
3: Any boy went into a seminary or wherever the Christian brothers are taught, None of them went in that they were going to beat up children. So one has to question what happened to them. And I believe the Jansenist philosophy, it wasn't philosophy, a Jansenist outlook within theology was Augustinian in its severity. It was penitential, self-abnegation, and all of these things. But there was a Kilkenny saint called St. Canis, and he actually said something in the 6th century, which they'd never learned. That penitence in extremis is a crime against Christianity. And these people who actually felt that we as the offspring of morally unfit mothers m- must actually be punished for the sins of our parents. Uh, all of this was what I would call a perverted view of Christianity.
1: Do you know, Brian, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of imagination at work here with a view to getting the money out of the trust. I mean, um, what did they say? Travel broadens the mind. Travel is the greatest education that one can have. I'm sure a lot of these men wouldn't mind a trip to, whether it's Paris or Rome or Bangladesh, it doesn't matter, a little travel grant of 10 grand a pop or... Twenty grand a pop,
2: and I think the ironic you know, thing—that you know, that,
1: yeah. that could kind of broadly fit within the educational remit of this fund—and uh, if they didn't manage to travel well, so mm-hmm. be it. I, I think that absolutely, and I think the
2: ironic and the tragic uh, aspect of this is those boys came out of the Baltimore Industrial School with no educations pretty much. Uh, They went in there with very little education and they came out with no education and this trust fund which is meant to be set up for educational purposes uh, will now go to the remit of this to go to educate other people in Baltimore who never went through that horrific experience and I think
1: surely a solution can be found. Absolutely absolutely. It's interesting listening to the men very articulate Mm -hmm. Well spoken, thoughtful people, and uh, they in spite don't, of the way they were treated.
2: Yeah, and they're not bitter. They don't hold grudges. I mean, they're incredibly admirable, actually.
1: Yeah. Well, let's hope something can be done. Eamon and Terranura says I've said for years that society, including the media, was to blame for allowing child abuse by the clergy and others. The Blue Leg Boys is an example of this. Society knew but did nothing. It just christened them the Blue Leg Boys. What a sad country. No guts. Brian, thank you very much for a really terrific report. Thank Thanks. you.